Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6, and can be found on page 694 of the Pew Bibles. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a child a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of God. The New Testament reading comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on page 1201 of the Pew Bibles. And it reads, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to theirs. For to which the angels did God ever say, You are my son today and I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. This is the word of God. Welcome to everyone. As you noticed, it's not so easy to train your foot not to move up the steps as you've done for all of the 75 years. And then with my broken toe, I am still learning. But only two more weeks, and we will be back, we trust, to normal. You can be. Okay, um, this week we want to continue on our sermon series that is coming from this uh, statement of faith. And we are looking forward to seven sermons, of which you already have heard two. The first four deal with God. We dealt with God Almighty, the Trinity. And then last week, because my first sermon was a bit long, I brought Trinity into the second sermon. And then also God the Father Today, God the Son, and tomorrow, or next week, God, or excuse me, two weeks from now, God the Holy Spirit. 
We'll also do a sermon on the Bible, God's Bible. We'll do a sermon on sin and salvation. And we'll do a sermon on the church and Jesus' return. So we look forward to that. And as I said, as we began this series, one of the reasons to me it is quite important that we visit these things we believe again is because in our age, the definition of terms which we have had for maybe years and generations, in our generation, sometimes they are being redefined. Not everyone who calls himself Christian would believe that Jesus is the way to salvation. Not everyone who would... We are, we are in an age where people are saying truth is whatever I determine truth to be for myself. And of course, God himself has declared himself as that truth for us. In the first sermon, we talked about this idea that God has revealed himself, not that we can search and find him out, but that he, through his grace and love, is revealing himself to us. He takes initiative. And because he is a person, he introduces himself to us. It's not just simply a research that we do about something, but rather he is a person. And of course, we talked then in the second one about Trinity. We have one God. Hear, O Israel, your God is one. And yet that God is, is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And we studied then briefly how that in creation, all three of these, God in the beginning, God created the next verse, it talks about God, the Spirit, brooding and causing forth life. And then as we move into the New Testament, how it says, and Jesus created all that has been created. And in our salvation, we find God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working to bring us to eternal life. And then we talked about God the Father. And in summary, just let me say, that all of us have been created in the image of God. And there is that sense where the Bible teaches us that all humanity are children of God. And yet there's also this fatherhood of God where God adopts us into his eternal family. And where everyone will know God as the creator, father, and every person, every man, woman, will stand before him at the end of time to give account. But that is too late put one's life right. Because the other, knowing him as God the Father who has adopted us, who has forgiven us, who has cleansed us, placed his Holy Spirit within us, which cries out, Abba, Father, and our spirit cries back, Abba, Father, acknowledging that he is our Father and we are his children. Here we stand before the eternal judge. Here we have a Father with whom we live for eternity. And today I want to talk to you about God the Son or the Son of God. Now, in this, this is probably, of all those sermons and topics we're going to talk about, the most unique for our Christian faith. Because we are going to talk about the Son of God who comes and who remains fully God and yet becomes fully human. Fully God, fully human. And we'll see 
as we walk through these Bible verses and what the Bible teaches us about that, how really important that is. You see, because, you see, if he's not God when he sacrifices, then the sacrifice is not sufficient. If he's not man, he's not really paid the bill of judgment and of death that each you and I, each one of us, would have to give payment for. Fully God, fully man, that you and I could experience salvation. So let us just look for a few moments. And what I want us to do in these few minutes we have together, I want us to look at at three basic areas, basic bits of the Bible. We'll look at John chapter 1, who gives kind of a description of Jesus. And then we'll look at Hebrews chapter 1, which was just read to us, and that gives a description of Jesus as God, his divinity. But then if we move on to Hebrews chapter 2, it will describe for us how he's also totally human. And why? And then we will move to, excuse me, to Philippians chapter 2, which gives us kind of the thought flow, the intent of God the Father, and why this is so very important. So, and those of you who have been here before when I have gotten long-winded are now wondering, how is he going to do that? He is going to pray to begin. Father, we come to you now and we thank you in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we call upon you to put your Holy Spirit here in a special way. Lord, it's not just a matter of minutes, but it is a matter of you opening our hearts and our minds that we would understand and comprehend as much as it is possible We know we will never fully understand nor comprehend you, the Almighty. But Lord, if you would be pleased this morning to pull back the curtain, so to speak, to reveal to us your soul, your depth, who you are, that we might worship you and rejoice in what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as... The Bible, in many places, teaches us about this one who's come. The Old Testament reading from Isaiah talks about there will be a child, there will be a son, and then it gives these names of God for him. And of course, if you go on, then also in the next, very next chapter, it talks about this one who is coming, being born of a virgin, who will be called Emmanuel, or that means God with us. That's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And of course, in the very beginning, after Adam and Eve have sinned, and God comes in chapter 3 of Genesis, and He judges the sin, He judges evil, He judges both, and, and we see this result. Then He says these amazing words as He speaks to evil, and He says, there will come from this one, and He points to Eve, to the woman, a seed, a person, who will crush the head of evil. So the prophets, many others, we don't have time this morning, but many others, 
tell of this, filled in the Old Testament, many references. Then in John chapter 14, as Jesus is speaking with his disciples, remember he says, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then we would think the natural is now going to be a sermon about the cross. No, 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 no. What Jesus then continues and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says, for in my father's house are many dwelling places. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that I will take you to be with me for all eternity. Wow. And of course, Philip says, well, you know, they didn't have GPSs in that day. He said, Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to know how to get there? To which Jesus replies that famous verse, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's an amazing truth. And so we enter these things. You see, he has come and he's telling his people, the reason I have come is I am going to prepare you that you come and spend eternity with God. Then we read in John chapter 1, let's read some of the things it talks to us or explains to us, it describes to us about God. It says, in the beginning, the Word, or the Son of God, the Word was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Remember last week we talked about verse 3 where the Son is involved in creation. But did you notice in verse 1 there are three elements. The Word, in the beginning, the Word. In other words, it's saying that Jesus is pre-existent. Just as Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. So it says, in the beginning, the Word, Jesus. And then number two, it says, not only is he pre-existent from eternity to eternity, but then it says, and he was with God, which means there's God the Father, and now there is God the Son, two persons of the Trinity from the very beginning. And then the third phrase, of course, which is overwhelming, well, even that phrase, Jesus will speak to that in John chapter uh, 8, verse 58, where when they are talking to him and he says, well, I will tell you that it was like this before Abraham. And they say, well, how do you say that, that you know all about this, about Abraham? You're just, you're just less than 40 years old. You're just young, you're a man. And he says these amazing words. Before Abraham was, I am. And the Jewish leaders who were there picked up stones to stone him to death because they understood what he was saying is, I am God pre-existent. And the God, not only who was there in the beginning, and then he was with God, the second person of the Trinity, but then he was God, his absolute deity. John 10, 30, where he says, I and the Father are one. Or if we read in the Gospels, it's recorded in Matthew and Mark, again in Luke, in Mark, for example, 9, where they bring in this person who has to be healed. 
And as they lay that person before Jesus, Jesus says to the person, and your sins are forgiven. Wow. And they all again look at him and said, who can forgive sins but God himself? Absolute right answer. And then the amazing response of Jesus, he said, what is more difficult to do? To say to a person, your sins are forgiven, or to say to that person who is crippled, pick up your bed and walk. I remember one time when I was reading that scripture in my devotions and suddenly it hit me. Well, you know what? I could walk up to my buddy and say, hey, hey, your sins are forgiven. You're okay. And I couldn't look in his heart, neither could any of us, could we? But I tell you, if that man was crippled, and I said to him, you pick up your bed and you walk. But listen, Jesus didn't say that just as a demonstration of power as God. What he, the rest of the sentence he gives to his people who are questioning him says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He has the power of God. He said to the man, rise up and walk. And the man jumped up and walked. Demonstrated in a manner of which there was no debate. He's God. And then in John chapter 1 verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Those of you who have been studying Exodus at the Bible at 10, they already know all of this. Look at this. You see, this word that he used, he came and he dwelt, or he was among us, literally it means he tabernacled or pitched his tent. And so what the writer is doing is he's calling us back to that moment of the second half of the book of Exodus. And as you move to the end, as they put all the pieces of furniture, they erect the tent, and then they just get ready to worship. And suddenly, the absolute glory of God comes. And the glory of God fills the tabernacle. And those who were there to serve fall on their faces and they worship the glory of God. And John is written, and when he came, this word, this Jesus, it was the glory of God that we saw. He's God, you see. And in the book of Hebrews, as I said, chapter 1, it was read to us. Look how it says, a long time ago, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But then these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So what did he say when he spoke to us in Jesus? He says he is the one through whom he created the world. We talked about that last week. But then look in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, which John has just referred to in verse 14. The very glory of God. Then look at this. He's the exact replica or imprint of his nature. That is like, that word literally means, it's like if you were minting a coin. Once upon a time when we lived in Vienna, the office we had was downtown. And every time when I came off the U-Bahn, I walked past the Austrian mint. And on certain days, you could hear these machines going, boom, 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 boom. And what they were doing, whether they were minting a silver, a silver krona, or they were minting a gold coin, or just at that time a euro, or in ancient times a shilling, 
they were taking what the image, the imprint that had been placed in the top in this piece that they were having, and that imprint then would be pressured onto a blank coin. Boom, boom. And whatever was here was exactly reproduced here. What he has said, he, Jesus, is the exact imprint of God himself. Very powerful stuff, you see. And then he comes on, he says, and he upholds the universe by his power. Oh, this one's a two cup of coffee thought, but we don't have time. What holds it all together? Is it going too fast? We're going to come apart? Or will it result in a black hole? What keeps the atoms, the electrons, spinning around the neutron and proton? When we know, if you just take a magnet, that electrons and protons, positive and negative, what keeps it going? Here it says it's him, his power. Then if you go on in verses 4 through to actually 9, there are, there's a comparison made between angels because some people have falsely taught that he is a great angel or the highest angel or the highest of creation. No, 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 no. Look what he says. He says to them, of what angel? He makes the comparison. Did God ever say, you are my son? The first begotten, the only begotten of God. Or then he goes on further and he says, which ones to whom else? Did he say, let all of God's angels worship him? One only worships God. Or then he says, the angels are winds of fire, they're ministers of flame. But then look what it says there as you get into verse 8. Your throne, O God. He says to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's higher than the angels because of his name, Son, the Son of God. He is more powerful than the angels are to worship him. And he has a throne. It's a God throne. Wow. And it just goes on and on there in chapter 1 about his divinity, him being God. Now, I'm going to go in just a moment to chapter 2, but before I go there, because just as much as chapter 1 tells us about his divinity, fully God, chapter 2 is going to tell us about him being fully man. But in order to help our thinking with that, remember when we studied 1 John? 1 John, the first verses of 1 John are like a bridge to take us from him being fully God to him being fully man, not losing God, remaining God, and yet being fully man. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, remember we just studied that, God, the word was in the beginning with God, and the word was God. That, and then listen to what he says. That one who was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we've looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, that one who was in the beginning, who was there with the Father, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. And then he says, he says to us this, I testify to you and proclaim to you that this life, this eternal life was manifest. We have seen it. And eventually he's going to write, and the reason I'm writing that, this to you is that you may have fellowship with us may have eternal life with God the Father and God the Son. 
So John bridges for us and he says, this is the amazing thing. This one who's God, with God at the beginning, has now come. And we have seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. In Hebrews 2, which talks about Jesus being fully man and yet fully God. Look what it says in verse 9, chapter 2. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. For this little while, these 30 plus years he was here on earth. And then crowned with glory and honor because of suffering of death so that he, by the grace of God, might touch, taste death for all of us. You see, this we must grab a hold of. He was God so that when he gave the sacrifice, it was adequate. There is no way that evil could come back and say, it's not enough because it's God. But then evil could never come back and shake its fist and say, but it's not fair because he's man. And upon him comes all of the suffering, all of the agony, all of the pain, all of the judgment of God that we were guilty. And then this incredible phrase, and he tasted death for everyone. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, his son. Wow. Last week we talked about Rome, excuse me, Revelation chapter 4, which gives us a glimpse into heaven. And you see the throne of God and God the Father seated on it. And there around it are the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. They worship him. In chapter 5, it gives us another vision. And the vision in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation is the Lamb of God. There, right with the Father. And those four living beings, and those 24 elders, they shout something different out because they are, the, the Father has this scroll in his hands. And they are seeking who is worthy to take that scroll and to open the scroll, which is the beginning of the rest of history. And the coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ to the end of time. Who is worthy? And here's what they say, the four and the 24. Worthy are you. Worthy are you because you were slain. All of heaven wonders that God the Son tasted death for all of us. And then it says all the angels of heaven Repeat the same phrase, worthy because you were slain. And then eventually it goes on to the next paragraph and says, all of creation repeats that. He was slain, he tasted death. Then listen, as it goes on here in verse 14, he gives the reason. It says, since therefore the children share the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who feared death and were subjects to lifelong slavery. And then it talks about him becoming the faithful high priest and that he has made uh, uh, that offering or that sacrifice, that propitiation for the sins of the people. It says here, because each one of us were flesh and the blood. 
And we were the ones who were guilty. It says, then he became flesh and blood in all ways like us, that he might then take from us the guilt and the sin and the suffering that was rightfully ours and even taste death. That there could never be in the court of God an objection that it was not fair. Totally God. Fully man. And then, let me just flip with you to Philippians chapter 2, which gives us some insight into this. And it says, therefore, in verse chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind in yourselves, which is, your, is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God. And in this, as Paul writes, he gives us a little hint of what he's stressing, because there's a pattern which he forms by the use of the word form. He was in the form of God. Eventually you're going to get, he was in the form of humanity. But the moment it moves from and combines, it's the form of a servant. Listen to what he says. So he was in the form of God, but he did not come, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped where he held on, but he emptied himself and a good way to understand this idea of emptiness it's not just he set aside his godhood, no, 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 no the empty, the word is actually like when they offered a, 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 a offering in the Old Testament a, a worship offering made out of wine or oil or anything, they would take it and they would pour it out meaning that it took all of it. Everything was given to God. And here's what it says. Then emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and found in human form. Humbled himself to obedience to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what it says here is very simply this. That God moved with him in that way. That he first became a servant. That was the first step. And actually this word for servant means the word doulos. That means that he chose to do this. And then he became, it says, in the form of, of, of man. And he then, in the likeness of men, and then he humbled himself to obedience and to death. Now, just as we were looking at these things together, I think these verses are incredibly important because he says, God saw that it was fitting to do it this way. In other words, this was the right way. There in Hebrews chapter 2, just let me read that to you again, but it says there that God saw that it was fitting through the death that he might partake of through that he would destroy the power of evil. So he came and his life was poured out obedient even to death. What do we have here? Very simply this. We have God the Son pre-existent but God the Son who is God who came and became fully 
human. Why did he do that? Because again, to be God meant the sacrifice was sufficient, adequate for all. And to be fully human meant he carried every bit of the punishment, totally as you and I would have. And yet at the end, rather than just death, there's this resurrection and he has crushed the head of evil forever. Amazing truth. Both are needed. Why? In John chapter 20, we read that last week as we talked about God the Father, where Jesus, as he rises from the dead, tells Mary to go back and tell the disciples, I am ascending to be with my Father. And then he says, tell them that I go to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. If you read on in chapter 20 of John, you will find that it comes to the point where Jesus appears to his disciples and they see him. He appears in a resurrected body that meant that the doors were locked, the windows were shut and shut. And yet he came. And one disciple, Thomas, was not there. And if you read his special time with Jesus, which follows in chapter 20, where Thomas has said, I will not believe lest I put my finger in the place where the nails went into his hand unless I put my hand into where the sword went into his side and Jesus comes and he comes to Thomas and he says Thomas come put your finger place your hand and then just before Thomas falls on his knees and worship saying my Lord my God Jesus says to Thomas Thomas I want you to do this because you see a spirit does not have flesh and bone. This is a resurrected one. Not like your body and mine, but a resurrected body. Why is that important? What did Jesus say in John 14? If you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be afraid. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you that you may be where I am also. How do we get there, Philip asks. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see, God made him to be exactly like you and me, that he could take all of our guilt, all of our consequences, and the death that was ours. And yet, he is God and preparing for us an eternal place to live with him. God the Son, no doubt the most unique and powerful thing of our Christian faith. And what we say in our statement of faith is we believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of the Father, God the Father, through whom all things were made. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary as God incarnate, fully human, fully divine. He lived a sin-free life, died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. He rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. My time is done. May I close with this question to you? Do you know the Son of God? Have you met him who is God, fully God, And you met him who is fully human. 
The one who paid the price on the cross, which was adequate, he tasted death for everyone. And God the Father saw that it was fitting. That means if this was the right way, that he become totally human as well. Like all of the sons that God is leading to glory. That he would pay totally the price. And when Jesus died on the cross and he shouted out, it is finished, or literally, the bill has been paid. It was your bill, my bill. And he rose from the dead. Do you know him? Have you experienced that level of forgiveness and truth? That's why he's fully God and fully man. May God bless you as you consider this. Father, we thank you this afternoon for this opportunity to simply bow before you. And in some ways, Lord, our hearts and our minds are just so amazed that you, O oh God, said this is the fitting way, this is the absolute right way it needs to be done. Is that that one who had existed with you from the beginning? There is a moment in our human time and history and space where he also became, took on blood and flesh, that he could be the perfect sacrifice for every man, woman, and person in this world. We thank you and we worship you. And I want to pray for each one of us here today that you would help us to grasp this and to live this truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.